0: On June 12, 2022 the United States House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol announced that it had amassed enough evidence to recommend the indictment of former President Donald Trump for his role in the attack. The events following Trump's speech on Capitol Hill have been described with various terms. The crowds surrounding the speech and outside of the Capitol building security perimeter were initially described as those of a protest or rally. Then, the security perimeter was breached. Protesters entered the Capitol. One was fatally shot by a Capitol police officer. As the situation became more violent, media outlets began using terms like riot, or mob, or assault. Due to the political motivation of the siege, the term domestic terrorism was used, as was the term attempted coup. And then the rioters entered the Senate chamber and reached the door of the House chamber, where Capitol Police officers were barricaded inside. Around this time, the terms coup, insurgency, and insurrection started to be used in relation to the event. Usage of the term insurrection to describe the event has faced mixed reactions. Numerous politicians, including even some supporters of Trump, have described the event as such. In Donald Trump's second impeachment, the crime he was charged with was incitement to insurrection. However, in the aftermath of the event, a number of right-wing publications and political figures decried the use of the term insurrection, instead referring to the incident at the Capitol as a peaceful protest. One pro-Trump news site Big League politics referred to the event as, quote, a historic civil rights march by President Donald Trump's supporters. Even the Republican National Committee called the attack, quote, legitimate political discourse. Regardless, insurrection still seems to be the most popular choice of words to describe the events of January 6, 2021. As a nation that came into existence through a rebellion against the British government, it is perhaps unsurprising that the United States has had its fair share of armed rebellions. Just a few years after the end of the American Revolution, Shays' Rebellion broke out in western Massachusetts. This rebellion, led by American Revolutionary War veteran Daniel Shays, was in response to a debt crisis brought on by a lack of paper currency which ultimately stemmed from the weakness of the government created by the Articles of Confederation. In turn, this failed rebellion would result in the redrafting of the US government through the ratification of the Constitution. Following the post-American Revolution rebellions, most uprisings in the US were slave revolts. Arguably the most famous slave revolt was the 1831 rebellion led by Nat Turner, a slave from Virginia. Similarly, in 1859, white abolitionist John Brown led a raid on a U.S. military armory in Harpers Ferry, Virginia, in the hopes of starting a mass uprising of slaves across the country. Speaking of slavery, the institution would lead to the most famous armed rebellion in U.S. history, the Civil War. This five-year conflict, the bloodiest on American soil, saw the attempted secession of the Confederate States of America over the status of slavery in the South. After the Civil War, numerous armed uprisings were committed by white supremacist militias who opposed Reconstruction and the integration of freedmen into American society. On a lighter note, one rebellion that was able to bring about positive change was the Battle of Athens. In 1946, a group of World War II veterans in Athens, Tennessee, took up arms against their city's government in response to political corruption and police brutality. Although the rebellion was put down, it did result in major government reforms within McMinn County, Tennessee. Occurring decades later, the Black Power Movement, a militant offshoot of the civil rights movement occurring in the 1970s and 1980s was characterized by some as an armed uprising against state governments and the federal government. More recently, a series of anti-government uprisings have been committed by the militia movement, most notably those led by right-wing activist Amon Bundy. The different rebellions that have occurred throughout U.S. history have been motivated by a variety of grievances, but there has only really been one successful coup in U.S. history. This insurrection, motivated by white supremacy and segregationism, saw the removal and replacement of a city's entire government. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 65th episode of this podcast, and I really hope you enjoy it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. I have previously discussed the failures of Reconstruction and their repercussions in the episode about the Compromise of 1877. To recap, in the aftermath of the Civil War, the U.S. military enforced the abolition of slavery in the South while Congress decided how to reintegrate black freedmen into American society in a period known as Reconstruction. Though opinions varied among different political factions in Congress, It appeared that better days were in store for African-Americans. But then, a perfect storm of events occurred that would forever change American history. President Abraham Lincoln, a staunch supporter of integration and civil rights, was assassinated by Confederate sympathizer John Wilkes Booth. Lincoln's segregationist Democratic Vice President Andrew Johnson took office. Reconstruction ended prematurely, and southern state governments were given free reign over racial issues. Jim Crow laws were instituted, revoking any rights given to black Americans during Reconstruction, and white supremacist militias were formed to terrorize freedmen and their supporters. The United States then entered a period known as the nadir of American race relations, in which the status of black Americans hit an undisputed rock bottom sundown towns which threatened to kill black people who stayed within city limits after sunset began to emerge extrajudicial murders of african americans known as lynchings became a common occurrence and of course in spite of the 15th amendment which gave voting rights to american citizens regardless of race some state governments still found ways to prevent black people from voting point is Race relations deteriorated to a point even worse than they were when slavery was legal. However, one city tried to stand up against this trend of white supremacy, Wilmington, North Carolina. Similarly to the rest of the South, Wilmington, then the largest city in North Carolina, experienced a resurgence of white supremacist violence in the aftermath of Reconstruction. Much of this was at the hands of the Red Shirts, a white supremacist paramilitary wing of the Democratic Party. Following the decimation of the Ku Klux Klan by Ulysses S. Grant's Department of Justice, the Red Shirts were formed in order to threaten, harass, and attack black and white Republicans who supported integration. As white farmers, both wealthy and poor, were the main opponents of abolitionism, this demographic constituted the primary voter base of the Democratic Party. In the 1880s, however, attitudes towards the Democratic Party among poor white farmers began to change in North Carolina. During this period, known as the Gilded Age, the United States experienced a trend of unprecedented economic growth but also a massive widening of the gap between the rich and the poor. Much like today, the Republican Party of this era strongly supported big business and the free market, which contributed to the popularity of the Democratic Party among poor white farmers. However, many of these farmers additionally grew disillusioned with the so-called Bourbon Democrats, an old-style Democratic faction that also supported a very laissez-faire economy. In response, many looked towards the Populist Party, a left-leaning political party that supported agricultural subsidies and regulations on price gouging by railroad corporations. The Populist Party was led by James B. Weaver, whose mother was originally from Trenton, New Jersey. In an attempt to match the political power of the Democratic Party, in 1894, the North Carolina Republican Party and the North Carolina Populist Party began collaborating on a platform known as fusionism, which combined the progressive economic policies of the Populist Party with the dedication to equal rights of the Republican Party. The fusionist alliance of the republicans and the Populists proved to be a major factor in north carolina's state and local politics from 1894 to 1898 the fusionists dominated wilmington's government the most powerful men in the city known as the big four were all white fusionists who supported equal rights mayor silas wright county sheriff george french postmaster w.h chadbourne and local businessman Flavio Foster's. And with the support of the fusionists, even black residents of the city, including freedmen, were able to hold local government offices. By 1897, as much as one-third of the Wilmington City Council was black. That same year, newly incumbent Republican President William McKinley appointed freedman John C. Dancy, U.S. Collector of Customs for Wilmington. Support for the Fusionists was rising steadily, in part thanks to the Wilmington Daily Record, the only black-owned daily newspaper in the U.S. at the time. However, plenty of white Wilmington residents disapproved of the Fusionists, mainly within the Democratic Party. This was especially true among wealthy Bourbon Democrats, who opposed the economic reforms that the populace brought to the Fusionist movement. In advance of the 1898 elections in North Carolina, North Carolina Democratic Party Chair Fernifold Simmons had to devise a strategy to win back the poor white electorate. The plan he came up with was to go back to basics and emphasize the importance of racial issues. As such, the 1898 North Carolina Democratic Party platform included the following line, quote, North Carolina is a white man's state, and white men will rule it, and they will crush the party of Negro domination beneath a majority so overwhelming that no other party will ever dare to attempt to establish Negro rule here. Yet, in spite of this invocation of the promise of racist governance, the Fusionists would go on to win the Wilmington mayoral election and the Board of Aldermen elections. In response, a white supremacist secret society known as the Secret Nine was formed. This organization published the White Declaration of Independence, an ultimatum to the black community of Wilmington and their white supporters. The proclamation stipulated, among other things, that the fusionist rule of the city must come to an end, that jobs in the city given to black men should instead primarily be given to white men, and that Alexander Manley, the editor-in-chief of the Wilmington Daily Record, was to leave town forever within 24 hours. At 7.30 a.m. on November 10, 1898, the ultimatum expired. Alfred Waddell, the leader of the Secret Nine, gathered hundreds of his supporters at an armory in Wilmington, where they acquired hundreds of shotguns as well as a mounted Gatling gun. The mob first broke into the headquarters of the Wilmington Daily Record with the intention of capturing and lynching Alexander Manley. Little did they know, Manley had fled the city just hours earlier after a white acquaintance warned him of the mob's plans to lynch him. In spite of this, the group still doused the building in kerosene and set it on fire, burning it to the ground. The mob swelled to a size of 2,000 as rumors of black men shooting at the group spread. The mob entered predominantly black neighborhoods, torched black-owned businesses and homes, and assaulted black residents. Numerous black residents were also lynched by the mob. Word of the massacre reached the North Carolina National Guard, but the circumstances were conveyed to be a race riot between white and black residents of the city, as opposed to a one sided mass lynching of black people. The National Guard soon arrived in Wilmington and attempted to disperse white and black crowds with gunfire, killing several black civilians in the process. Meanwhile, The mob stormed the Wilmington City Hall, forcing Fusionist Mayor Silas Wright, the Board of Aldermen, and the Chief of Police to resign at gunpoint and flee the city. Waddell swore himself in as mayor, and the Board of Aldermen was entirely replaced by other members of the mob by 4 p.m., this incident is considered the only successful coup d'etat in American history, as no other riot or insurrection has resulted in the complete removal and replacement of a government. By the end of the day, as many as 300 black residents of Wilmington had been killed, while an estimated 2,000 had been left homeless or run out of town. Meanwhile. Approximately 20 white fusionist politicians were also banished from the city by the Red Shirts. Alfred Waddell remained the de facto mayor of Wilmington until his death in 1912, and the Wilmington insurrection would usher in the passage of Jim Crow laws that enforced segregation and the marginalization of African Americans. Elsewhere in the South, the nadir of American race relations would continue for decades. When this period ended is disputed, but most historians agree it ended around the start of World War II. However, it would take until the 1960s and 1970s for substantial changes to be made in the realm of American race relations, and even today, there is still a long way to go before all of the scars of racism in the United States can be healed. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if i like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, If you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.